Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning once again. I am Pastor Gary Olson, PGO. Thank you for wearing your name tags this morning. And if it were up to me, the world would have name tags pretty much all the time. Because if I'm missing a chromosome, it's the one that identifies names and faces. So somehow I'm missing some of that. But good to see you all again. And I just want to remind you about uh, fellowship afterwards. Please stay and enjoy uh, a meal with us uh, downstairs after we're done here. Um, but I want to start by saying Happy Easter. Because I just want to remind you again that Easter is not a single Sunday. It is a season. goes all the way to Ascension Sunday that we'll be celebrating here. Um, in a couple of weeks uh, from now, uh, later on this, uh, in, in the next month, actually. So now, um, on that theme, for several weeks now, we've been talking about how the ancient Hebrew rabbis um, referred to Scripture. And they said it was like uh, holding a gem in your hand. And as you turn that gem in your hand and you let the light reflect on it differently, you can see different beauty in it, you can see different things in it. I'm see if I can get Diane again this morning with it over here. See, what I said is that if you get this shined right in your face, then that means you're the chosen one. You've got to come and help stack chairs after the service is done. But the Hebrew rabbi said that um, just like a, a, a beautiful gem like this, Scripture has 70 faces or 70 facets to it. And as we turn that gem over in our hands and we look at it and examine it, we see different things and God reveals different things to us. And what I've been emphasizing is their point, saying that it's in, until we look at that gem and hold it in a way that reflects our, our own reflection, we see ourselves in those verses, we see ourselves in Scripture, then we're not getting the point. Because a lot of times we think that the Bible was just written for somebody else some other time, and these are somebody else's story that we're just casually looking at and like we're watching some kind of movie or something like that. But God says, no, that's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about talking about our relationship between God and ourselves. And by the way, if I put a word down at the bottom of this and I kind of forgot to, I would put relationship. What's the first thing I think about when I think about God? It's relationship with him. Because that's where we need to get to. That's where we need to get to. So when we, we see these um, narratives. We see these um, historical descriptions and accounts, these storylines about God's people. Um, we should see ourselves in them and how they reacted and how they acted in their relationship with God and in how they chose to follow Christ. Because like I said, sometimes we forget that the circumstances that these people are going through, these are real people. These are not made up stories. These are real people, flesh and blood, just like you and I, walking through life, having the same difficulties, having the same joys, the same things that we are experiencing. And again, how did they respond in their relationship with God? So sometimes, if we let these accounts, if we let these narratives um, get into us, we'll, they'll cause us to see things in, uh, and see ourselves in, in a different way and in a different light. Um, and sometimes some of these stories are easier to relate to than others for us. Um, sometimes it's easier to relate to the, what these people are experiencing. Um, sometimes we can just see ourselves in a situation or in, in a moment. And I think today is one of those examples when it's maybe a little bit easier for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and, and, and Thomas especially, um, especially from today's um, gospel reading from John, um, tells us about that individual. And I would like to say this misunderstood individual, and I'm going to defend him this morning, this guy named Thomas, this disciple named Thomas, um, a.k.a. also known as Thomas, what? Doubting Thomas, right? And I'll tell you the truth because I always tell you the truth sometimes to a fault and we get in trouble with that sometimes. But someone tagged Thomas as Doubting Thomas with that anchor around his neck a long time ago and everybody else has kind of piled on the guy. But we're going to look at this guy this morning under a microscope. Not from a historical standpoint, not from a psychological standpoint, but a standpoint of us looking into that gem of Scripture. Is it in anybody's eyes, by the way? Should I move it at all? If we're looking into that gem of Scripture and seeing ourselves reflected back into it through the story of Thomas and through the story of some of the other disciples that we're going to talk about here. 
Because we're going to look at it, we're going to say, you know, some of the other disciples were actually uh, worse off than Thomas and somehow got away with it. Like, I, I always like to look at Peter. Peter flat out denied Jesus three times on that night in which he was betrayed. But we don't say, you know, denying Peter. And uh, Jesus looked at, um, uh, at Peter and said, why are you doubting? But we don't call him doubting Peter. But um, those are, are two um, uh, stories maybe for another time that we'll get to some other time. But Thomas, you know, Thomas was more of a realist than a pessimist. Right, because I was reading a commentary one time back in the day, and I said, you know, he's talking about Thomas, and he, you know Winnie the Pooh, and that character Eeyore. I got a picture of Eeyore here, but it's a it's a fun picture of Eeyore. It's not the gloomy one they usually see. You know, Eeyore is always looking at the glass half empty, always finding fault with everything. But but I disagree that that's where Thomas was. Thomas um, is mentioned in the New Testament eleven times. And that's more than you are mentioned in the New Testament 11 times. But a lot of those, for the first three Gospels, um, it's just his name is just listed among the other disciples. But then when we get to the book of John, John gives us some details about Thomas that I find not only interesting but absolutely fascinating. And, and I'll submit to you this morning that he is not the doubter that people make him out to be. And I'm going to talk about a couple of translations, um, not maybe errors, but some other translations that we might uh, pay more attention to. In fact, uh, I submit to you we should look at the example of how Thomas followed Jesus, the way Thomas followed Jesus, the examples that we have here that John has given us. Um, we look, we'll look at some of the quotes um, that Thomas has in the book of John, take a closer look at, the, at that scene where he gets his nickname. Um, so, okay, so first of all, let's back up to John 11 a little bit. Um, so uh, we'll be in John 20 later on, but John 11 um, this verse is when um, Jesus, it's close to Jesus last week, actually. And they get word um, that this man named Lazarus, and you recognize that name as the man that Jesus pulled out of the grave after he'd been there for four days. It was one of, his, his, one of Jesus' last miracles, and it was his last messianic miracle, one of the miracles that said, that identified him and defined him as the Messiah, pulling Lazarus out of that tomb. So they get word that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus just kind of hangs out for a couple of days. And then in verse 7, he says this to his disciples. He says, then after this, after he'd waited a couple of days, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea again. Okay, and so now, uh, you know, that sounds harmless, but the disciples remind Jesus that this isn't a great idea. That the last time you were in Judea, which wasn't that long ago, by the way, they tried to kill you, right? Verse 8 says, they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. Jesus said, we're going back to Judea, and the disciples said, no way, you are not going back there. The Jews are out to kill you, and, and you're going to go back to that. I got a different version on my page here, but you're going to go back, you can't do it, right? Jesus says, I know that they tried to kill me. I, I, I know that. But you know what? Uh, we're going back there, and we're going back, he says, to glorify God. We're not just going back there to go. We're going back there to glorify God. And then this guy named Thomas, the one people say is a doubter in a wet blanket, he takes control here of the other disciples. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymos, said to the rest of the disciples, let's go, that we may die with him. You know, just a couple of fun facts to pick up here on the way. Um, Thomas, also known as Didymos, um, Didomas, actually, um, that means twin. Some of your translations will actually say twin, but it's a, it's a different kind of twin. It actually means duplicate, and it's where we get our word ditto from, right? I don't have to tell you that. I've got so many former teachers in here with the old ditto machine, you know, and you can still smell that paper, can't you? Right? The, an exact copy. So somewhere, Thomas has an exact duplicate of him running around here. So like I said, it's a special name that we use for that. So the ditto, right? So, all right. 
So, all right, let's first look at what Thomas says and then look at who he says it to, right? The disciples, Jesus says, we're going back to Judea. And the disciples say, no way. There's no way. That's, that's the worst idea I've ever heard, right? And so we just need to chill out here for a while, let things blow over, which they, you know, that was kind of the plan for what they were, were going to do. And, and Jesus says, nope, we're, we're heading right back into the storm. We're heading into the lion's den. We're heading into the teeth of this whole thing. And Thomas says, all right, look here, fellas, you know, we're not going to let him go by himself, are we? Get up and we're going to go with this guy. We're not going to let him go out there. So that's one moment. You know, the other disciples said, we're going to, you know, kind of cower over here for a minute. Thomas says, no, we're not. Get up. Let's go. We're not going to let this guy go by himself. So that's, John, that's Thomas. Like I said, we've got to look at how Thomas followed Jesus. We've got to emulate some of that, right? Stick up for him. So then um, John records another, um, one of my favorite moments in the Bible. One of my favorite moments. This happens uh, actually during Holy Week. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he's explaining to them that he is going to go away. Remember we talked last week, every time Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and die, what did this, the disciples' reaction was? They understood none of this, right? So that's kind of what we're going with here, right? He's explaining that I'm going to go away. He's actually telling them that's a good thing for me to go because things are going to happen differently after I go, right? And so the disciples understood none of this. Okay, and now he tells them some pretty serious stuff, and there's only one brave enough to speak up and ask a question. Okay, so let's look at John 14. Again, this is some of my favorite stuff. Verse 1 through four Jesus is speaking he says don't let your hearts be troubled he said you believe in God believe also in me then he starts explaining some stuff my father's house has many rooms if that were not so would I have told you that I am going to there to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place or since I'm going to prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am and then the bombshell comes in verse 4. He says, oh, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. Period. Mic drop, right? Jesus is like, okay, there we go. Enough said. But the disciples understood none of this stuff. They understood some of this stuff, but they understood none of this stuff. And no, so Jesus says, and you know the place to where I'm going. You know how to get there. And the disciples are kind of looking down the line at each other like, did I miss something here? Because I miss a lot of what he says. Did he say where he's going? Did he give us a map? Did he say? And they all just sit there kind of quietly until Thomas speaks up. He says this in verse 5. He says, no, Jesus says, you know the place where I'm going. Thomas is like, time out. No, we don't know, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? This is where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said, since you know me, you know the way. So this is Thomas, right? Let's all go, he says, back to Judea with him so that he doesn't die alone because he's going to need our help and we can't cower over here in a corner. We've got to go with him. Whatever comes of that. And the other disciples, when a very confusing thing Jesus was talking about, a very important thing Jesus is talking about, they sit on their hands there and Thomas says, no, you know, time out here. I have no idea what you're talking about. We have no idea, and it sounds kind of important. Could you just back up and tell us what, that, what that's all about? Now that kind of brings us to the moment in question here. We get a lot of Thomas's words here. We get to know him a little bit through a couple of these moments here, right? These historical moments that John records for us. But that brings us up to the moment in question here. And maybe, um, maybe, like I said, a moment in the Bible that you can relate to. Maybe this is one of the moments that you can see your reflection coming back in here. Because maybe you stand in the same place that Thomas did. And is thinking of the same things that Thomas was doing. But set it up historically. This is, this is Easter Sunday. right? This is the evening on Easter Sunday. 
Um, Jesus is making appearances left and right all over the place, and he, uh, he surprises the disciples who are huddled in an upper room. This is verse 19 in chapter 20. It says this, So when it was evening on that day, that first Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were for fear of the Jews, um, disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Okay, so lots to unpack here. Um, so I'm talking about Thomas this morning, but I don't want to miss the fact of what Jesus is, is pulling off here, what's going on here, and, and set this in. Because like I said, we celebrate Easter uh, for 50 days, from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate Easter for 50 days, so we're talking this whole time here. And uh, lots to unpack here, So, and we might get back to some of this another time, but uh, just a couple of things. That word door is a Greek word, athura, and it means a serious door, you know, that's all, that's all barred and uh, reinforced, got the rivets and stuff in it, it'd be really difficult to break through it or to break it down. This is, a, excuse me, a serious door. And what John is getting here is that it wasn't just casually locked up where Jesus popped in. There was no absolute way a mouse could get in that room, let alone a person walk in the room like Jesus did. Um, that word shut um, actually means, um, some translations will say that, it, that it's locked. Um, but some, uh, some will say it's locked, but uh, it means um, more than that, more than like a deadbolt. They had deadbolts kind of the same way we do, but they also had that big bar that came down over the door. So this is going to be impossible to break down. They're in there and they're scared, but they're feeling pretty safe. So they're in there all barred up. And the, the disciples were scared, right? And it says that, you know, they were fear of the Jews. They're a little, a little jumpy. Jesus pops on the scene. What's he say? He says, shalom. He says, peace be with you. Now, again, too much to deal with at one sitting here because we got some ham sandwiches waiting downstairs for us. Well, I'll be quick here. But. So I've been saying all along this morning, maybe you can relate to some of what I'm going to talk about more on a human level. And, and that's how we have to do this. We have to look at this. We're not just some kind of spiritual thing. No, we have to get the nuts and bolts of it. We've got to get our feet dirty. We've got to get our hands dirty. And like I always say, you know, feel the sun that was shining on these disciples and smell the dust that was going around there. So Thomas, you know, asking questions, making comments, not out of a, a skeptical position, but rather, you know, questions that will help clarify, help clear things up in his mind to help him understand what's going on. And those kind of questions are healthy. Those kind of questions are good. We're not looking for questions that we think, wow, if we just grab this thing right here, this whole structure is going to fall down. It's impossible, right? We just want to be able to understand so that we can put ourselves in these narratives a little bit better right now. So, all right, so that's the same concerns, again, downright fears that, that, that they're all experiencing right now. So John's gospel is, is full of details that can easily be missed if we don't just take a second, you know, like I said, turn the gem a couple of times and, and in our hands and looking and probing and searching, asking, asking questions to, to clarify, to simplify, not from a position of doubt. You know, that word doubt in, in the Greek, by the way, um, actually doesn't occur in this historical moment. And I know the, the passage that I read, and that's my mistake, um, the NIV actually uses the word doubt, I think because of just some of the historical moments and some of the historical ideas. Um, but the word doubt is actually, um, Josh, you got this one, dikronomai, dikronomai. Okay, so that's the word doubt, and it means um, to differ or to have a variance in your mind. In other words, um, your mouth and your heart disagree. Your mouth and your heart disagree, right? So your mouth can say one thing, but your heart doesn't agree with it, doesn't believe the same things. But it's okay. I understand this again. If this is the only thing you hear, it's okay for your mouth to ask those questions so that your heart can believe. And that's where Thomas was going this whole time. So let's get back to that scene in the upper room. Sorry, I'm off the track. I'm back in. 
Thomas is gone. We don't know why, and it really doesn't matter why. God is kind of like I was in the military. You, this is on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know that. So we don't need to make up reasons that Thomas was gone. We know that Peter was gone. Peter went home for a while. We know that John was gone, but you know what? They got back by now, and Thomas isn't really, he just is a little late to the party because he does come back here in a second. So look at, look at uh, verse 24 and 25. But Thomas, uh, one of the 12, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. We call him Ditto from now on maybe, right? Verse 25, so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is where Thomas gets labeled Doubting Thomas. And I'm telling you, it's unfair. Have you ever felt that you got labeled unfairly? Have you ever felt like you were falsely accused, that somebody just put a label on you that just didn't, wasn't fair and they didn't understand the situation? All, he, all because he said, unless I see. So turn to someone and say, unless I see. But guess what? Here's what I submit to you, members of the jury. That's not how Thomas said it. That's not how Thomas said it. Let's go back to verse 20, just a second ago. The same scene before Thomas gets on the scene. Verse 20. Uh, So Jesus pops on the scene. He says, peace be with you. And when Jesus had said this, look at what it says here. He showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then underlined, Rejoiced, believed when they saw the Lord. So Jesus pops onto the scene and he comes up to him and he says, It's really me. Look, I can prove it. Look at my hand. Look at look at my side. Look at my side. <laughs> right? He said, and so he, he's doing this to prove him. So, okay, after Jesus decided, surprises the disciples by appearing in the upper room, right? He shows them that. Okay, so now, fast forward just a couple minutes here now. We don't know exactly how far. We fast forward a couple minutes here, and the, Thomas walks in the door, and the disciples were like, dude, you're not going to believe that Jesus was here. And he's like, yeah, right. And he said, no. And now, put yourself in that moment, in that situation. Turn this around a couple of times. And and if we're in that narrative, if that actually happened, if you were standing there and Jesus walked in the door and he walked up and he showed you his hands, he showed you his side, right? Those would be details we'd tell the next person. So the disciples are telling uh, Thomas, not only did Jesus come here, but he showed us his, his hands. He showed us his side. And, 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 and we believed it. it had to be him. So Thomas said, unless I see that, I'm not going to believe it. Right? I just want to experience what you experienced. And the reason you experienced it is because Jesus did it so that you would believe. I just want the same thing that you got. Right? And for some reason now, we say, you know, that, that makes Thomas a doubter, right? But, you know, I think that's fair for him to ask. You hear about something that's too much to believe and what someone else saw and is trying to tell you to believe the impossible here. He says, you know what? I just like a piece of whatever it was that you saw and maybe then that'll help me go along. I have an example of that. I didn't do a children's message this morning, but I've got a quick one here um, that I want to, um, I need some help. I have Natalie that is going to assist me up here. Everybody give Natalie a big round of applause. So Natalie, so you were, jam, you were at Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, yes? And I did this incredible. 
magic trick. Let me see if I turn this off. Maybe that'll help. I did this incredible magic trick. Can you uh, briefly explain to them how I just absolutely blew your mind? He blew up a balloon and put it on a bunch of thumbtacks, and it didn't pop. So, all right. So I blew up a balloon, put on some thumbtacks, and the balloon didn't pop. Yes. So did I just casually, you know, roll it over, or how, how did I do it? You pressed it on hard. I did. And then, and then what else happened after that? Did anybody else try this? Aubrey did. Aubrey did, yeah. And what happened when Aubrey did? Same thing. It didn't pop. It, it didn't pop. So you're trying to tell these people that a balloon can stand up to thumbtacks, right? Does anybody believe her? I mean, this is impossible to believe, right? Oh, they're all raising their hands. This isn't Natalie, man. It's, it's like, no, I'm saying that. Should we do it? Here are the thumbtacks, and just, just carefully kind of press your hand on it just to confirm that those are thumbtacks. They're sharp, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> By the way, I've done this about 10 times in the last couple of days, and if the balloon pops at any time, it's going to be right now. But. Okay, so what we have here is a card with some, um, just those push pins in it, right? There's what, maybe 10 of, of them in there? And I've got her up here because I want her up here where everybody can see it. And I always want her as a witness that I am actually pressing them on, this, on these thumbtacks. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> All right, get your mark, get set, and... I'm on the tacks, am I not? I have no idea how this works, by the way. This blows my mind, too. We're going to do it one more time. Just press our luck. All right, now, would you just randomly pick one of those out of there? Okay, I just want to show you that it's a real, these are real thumbtacks, and these are real balloons. Thank you very much, Natalie. Give her a big round of applause. Wait. She's like, where's my payment? Thank you. You head back now. Thank you. <laughs> We're not playing games around here. So that's kind of what the disciples were saying. You know, I'd really like to see that happen. I'd really, that's what Thomas, I mean, was saying. I'd really like to see that happen. You got to see it. You got to experience it. It's a great story, but I'd really like to experience it for myself. So, all right. Here's where I'm going to tie it all together for you. John has some major themes in his gospel, Right? And they all come to a head in one word. And the fir that first word is belief, right? Or simply believe. And that's actually what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, stop being in an unbelief state. Not a state of doubt, but you're in a state of unbelief right now. And I need you to come back to that state of belief right here. And Jesus told him, we live by faith, not by sight. So Jesus appears to the disciples when they were filled with fear and he calmed their fears and he filled them with confidence, he filled them with courage. Then he appeared to Thomas and Thomas's reaction was one filled with transformation and adoration. Jesus walks in the room and he did the same thing for Thomas that he did for the other disciples. He just picked Thomas out because Thomas wasn't there the first time. So just like Jesus appears to all those disciples, he comes over to them and says, look at my hand, look at my side. Right? And then he does the same thing to Thomas. It's not like Thomas needed special treatment or something. He just got the same treatment again. The same treatment that we get when we experience God, when we go to God. And, and Thomas's reaction was, my Lord and my God. Right? 
My Lord and my God. He knew where he was. That's, we put that up on the top shelf next to what Peter's reaction was. When Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah. You are the living God. Right? That's exactly what Thomas was saying here right now. Right? All of this going on, transformation and adoration. All of this, you know, is in the picture we've been, we've been painting here this morning and the idea we've been trying to get this morning leads us to a couple of, a couple of places. So my, my question for you is very simple. It's very this. It's, it's just this. What, what about you? What about you? How do you respond to that? John's gospel invites you to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ and to be freed from fear and instead receive confidence, receive courage. Be freed from sin, death, and the power of the devil and instead be filled with the power of God. That's what John's gospel invites us to do. And it gives us some examples of people that do exactly that. right? Following God. And yes, they have their moments. And yes, Jesus is there to give them their moments back. So my question is, have you done that already? Have you made that decision in your life to put God first? Have you made that decision in your life to praise God and to have him call him the shots in your life, to give your life over? Sometimes we say to let God into your heart or to let Jesus into your heart. If you've done that, I, like I said, praise God for that. Just want you to think about what you wrote on there when Jeff said, you know, what's the first, what's the, what comes to your mind when you first think about God? Because if you haven't done that, if you haven't given your life over to him, if you haven't let him into your heart, and I say it after this, all, even though you don't know exactly what that means, we don't know exactly where that's going to take us, we don't know exactly what that means. The disciples were in the upper room, they didn't know what was going to happen next after that. Right? We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to take some steps, and Jesus is going to be there with us every step of the way. So if you haven't made that decision, decision in your life, my question is, what's holding you back? What's holding you up? What proof do you need to have? What do you have to see? What do you have to understand? What do you have to experience? And then maybe we can talk to you and we can maybe help you experience what you're looking for. Look what you're looking for and what will help put you over the edge on that. And I always say if, you've, if you are one of those people that said, you know, I accepted Christ and I was uh, however many years older I've been so, well, you know, how, how about today? Have you renewed that relationship with him today? Have you experienced that, gone from fear to confidence today, Right? Gone from unbelief to belief today in this moment at this time with God. Put your trust in him. Put your confidence in him. Put your courage in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand with me?